Women's Book Records Between the Pages. I'm Jess. And I'm Lauren. And we're the pals behind Book Records. This is the podcast where we chat all things books and just about everything in between. Today, we are joined by host of Your Booked podcast and writer, Daisy Buchanan. Her latest book, Limelight, recently came out and explores sisterhood, sexuality and self-esteem. And we're going to be chatting about it spoiler-free today, along with some of her other work. bloody love your podcast your book so it's a pleasure to have you on ours welcome thanks so much oh thank you so much I'm so happy that you listened thank you no thank you for coming on and joining us today um I feel like we have loads to discuss with you and loads of your books that we want to talk about but let's start with your latest book Limelight can you kick us off by telling everyone what it's all about So Limelight is, I'm calling it, a story of sisterhood, sexuality and Mm -hmm. self-esteem. The main character is Frankie. Now Frankie's 29 and in real life she feels a bit awkward and a bit overlooked. She always has felt like she's too big and too tall. She idolises her actual big sister, Bean, and Frankie thinks Bean is sort of petite and perfect. Um, Bean, at the very beginning of the book, is diagnosed with breast cancer. I don't think that's a spoiler. And I know enough people who've been affected by that to want to be upfront about it. Mm. And Bean and Alison have a complicated family. Their dad died of cancer when they were both little and they don't really remember him very well. Their mother, Alison, is really overbearing. She is a stage mother who sort of missed her calling. And the Mm -hmm. girls have grown up being forced into pageants and fundraisers and being forced to perform because Alison sort of thinks they should be stars, but also can't quite just ask for what she wants and, you know, put them in a beauty pageant or anything. It's all got to be under the guise of like charity and raising money and isn't it wonderful? So... Bean is desperate to keep the news from Alison. Frankie accidentally tells her. And of course, Frankie finds herself the star of this nationwide fundraising campaign. Frankie has a secret, however. Frankie uses a photo sharing website to publish explicit images of herself. Frankie doesn't think this is real life. Frankie feels like this is a safe space for her 40, 50 odd anonymous fans tell her she's beautiful and it's the only place where she feels beautiful and the only place where she's in control. Of course, this all gets discovered. Frankie's family disown her and she's gone from being the nation's sweetheart to a tabloid villain. Enter celebrity feminist influencer, Matt Clark, who says, the world has slut shamed you. I shall slut pride you. It doesn't matter that your family aren't speaking to you. Just follow me and do everything I say and it will all be fine. Of course, it is not fine. (laughs) And the story is about Frankie discovering just how far Matt's evil clutches go. And it's about her finding her way back to her sister and finding her way back to herself. And it's a love story about sisters and about bodies, and about how we live in a world that forces us to scrutinise ourselves and stare at ourselves and find ourselves wanting. And it's about what happens when you stop seeking attention and start paying attention. And there are jokes in it. (laughs) (laughs) Expertly done. So much to unpack. (laughs) Okay, well then let's start by talking about Frankie, because I think a lot of readers will be able to relate to her. Maybe not because they have a secret online profile, but because... You know, she has that desire to be validated and found beautiful by others. So can you talk to us a little bit about what's driving this and 
the struggles between wanting to be validated and sexy through the eyes of men, whilst also wanting to be a good feminist and how conflicting that can be or seen by some people. Can you do both? It's something I think about a lot. So I'm 38. I'm a bit older than Frankie. And something I think about often is I look at people who are younger than me and this really celebratory, gorgeous spectrum of sort of sexuality and bodies and the people that I'm in awe of who are creating a really, really positive space, especially online and thinking, I want that. I do, you know, and I look out and I want to find, you know, beauty in everyone. And I also feel a bit like, well, why why do we want to be beautiful? Why is that still the important thing? You know, because I I do, I still, and it, you know, it comes and goes with me on sort of different days. And, you know, some days I'm just getting on with it. I'm fine. But some days I just, I feel really, really, really sad that I'm not beautiful. And also if I was having this conversation with my friend and she said that, see me with friends, wouldn't I? I'd automatically say, oh my goodness, no, 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 you're beautiful, you're beautiful. Yeah. Like I'd be so desperate to reassure her without stepping back and thinking, why do we care so much? Mm. And I think there are so many parts of being a woman, especially in those of us who are kind of, you know, raised and socialized as women. We are always told we're getting it wrong. Kind mm. of, you know, we get hidden messages and we're actually told directly we're getting it wrong. We're also told to be ashamed of what we want. And I explore this a bit, I think, in my other novels, in Insatiable, where I talk very much about sex and what we want and what we're allowed to want and careering about that in terms of sex and also ambition. So yeah. I think that's the theme that I'm always wrestling with, like because also every novel ultimately has to be about what someone wants and whether they're going to get it and I want a novel to be about someone who's like I don't even know if I'm allowed to want this <laughs> it's so true and I think a huge part of it is also the language that we give to women and around women and there's a moment in the book where Frankie's sort of I think she's going through comments on this online platform where she shares sort of erotic images of herself and a handful of the users start their messages with like girl or girly and she says there's a quote that says a girl is a fairy tale thing and amorphous fantasy anything that anyone wants or needs her to be here a girl can never disappoint and that quote just really resonated with me because I just think the girl word girl is so loaded it's used so frequently to refer to grown women in a way that the word boy just isn't referred to in the same manner for men why 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 is that why do you think that is and why and why That's does Frankie get such a pleasure and a thrill out of being called a girl or girly Thank you. I love that question. And thank you so much for such a thoughtful reading of the book. I mean, I think it must be connected with our obsession with youth. And I've read lots of, you know, sort of novels and stories and also, you know, people writing nonfiction about it, the sort of the way we're so weird about fertility. And I think for a long time, even now, there's still a bit of a school of thought that says, well, you know, that's just how the world is. And it's how we're biologically programmed to keep the species going. And it's awful thing that I think we're still so far from resolving in terms of women and this idea of them being like, you know, sort of viable. Um, and I think that sometimes I look back at some of the relationships I have had and that my friends have had and the very complex area. And I think we're talking about it now, that sort of gray area where lots of me and everyone I know has been in one of those toxic relationships where 
you don't realize quite how toxic it is at the time and thinking, oh, this person didn't want someone who was going to be an equal. And it wasn't just about like, you know, a a young body, but it was about Mm. a young mind where you can, and you know, the, this isn't always the case, but to the, the dynamic we see a lot and see in culture a lot is the, um, you know, a man and a woman and a man saying, no, I'm going to tell you things and show you things and explain. And this is, this is what I think. Um, There is a uh, something that's just been on TV that I am loving and I've not finished it yet, but it's amazing. Um, Bridget Christie in um, The Change. And All it's right. about Linda. who's just had her 50th birthday and she is she sort of had to kind of organize her own birthday party and her husband's just clueless she's got two kids she does everything for everyone she's been keeping this log that details how long she's spent on chores since she was married she's got books and books and books and one day she's so fed up and she's oh fuck this I'm off and she gets on a motorbike she finds in her garage and goes to the forest of Dean and she's on this sort of a quest to find something she left behind when she was a young girl and everyone is completely confused and bewildered. It's a comedy. It's really, really great. And it made me think of, I suppose, you know, it's a stage of my life that I'm not there yet. Um, I love it. Also, I had this really like bad feminist feeling where I was like, Bridget Christie is so hot in this. She looks phenomenal. She looks so good. And then, but that's not the point. That is very much not the point. That's really, really bad of me. Um, and I think that's it, that if, you know we want to be women maybe want to be girls or some of us want to be girls because we're like oh the world still has a use for us when we're girls we're visible yeah. and actually and you know Linda is far from invisible in this but you know what does come you know when we come out the other side where because another thing is like women you know when I think of myself as a woman I'm like oh that's a responsible person mm-hmm. and Frankie part of her growth and her journey is she doesn't really want to take responsibility for herself and she doesn't know how. And she thinks, and this is something that I'm really guilty of and capable of just by kind of, she feels vulnerable and it takes her a long time to understand that it she doesn't wake up one day and be like, right, I feel like I'm in charge and I feel like I can take care of herself. Mm-hmm. She's sort of got to build that for herself and make that decision and stop giving her power away and that is I suppose what's connected with that you know where her attention is falling that when we are obsessed with ourselves like I definitely definitely have that tendency and I think we live in a world especially the western world that really cultivates that tendency within us and encourages that from us and we give so much power away that way and we miss so much and when we look up and look out that's when we can start to to claim it back and transition from girlhood to womanhood. And now I've got Brittany in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Frankie's journey is like a great one. And I loved watching her grow and and how she actually, she needs all these people around her, like even her mum, her crazy mum, like help actually helps her along that way. But one person I really want to touch on is her sister Bean, who Frankie just adores and idolizes. Um, and the main reason I really want to talk about Bean is because I really want to talk about sisterhood. Um, so for anyone that doesn't know, Daisy's written a book called Sisterhood, and it's I have four sisters, Daisy has five sisters. Um, and I just think it's really telling that like your memoir is told through your sisters, like as someone that grew up with that many of us around, that is absolutely how I would like 
ask me a question about my sisters <laughs> more for you because I will talk about them for half an hour and like it's like such a such a big part of my life and actually in the book you said something about how it's about how like women are funny um and just this weekend someone said to me you're so quick like I've never met anyone as quick witted as you and because I'd recently read sisterhood I was like it's because I've got sisters and like you helped me to realize that like that's the way I am and so I love how much of this book isn't just about her relationship with Bean it is wider sisterhood and you know how how she I mean I don't want to give away any spoilers but you know it's about women on the whole um and so firstly thanks for that book I bloody loved it (laughs) and I guess how much you know I learned a lot about you from reading that book and through your sisters and your relationship with them and everything that you you know your own journey would you say that your your upbringing that I've learned about in that book has shaped your fiction work too Oh, well, I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you so much for reading The Sisterhood. And I feel like we've got a kind of a sister bond in like that volume. And I really want to ask you like all about your sister now. <laughs> Where are you? In the order? Which, uh, what number are you? Um, I think, I mean, something that I think probably comes up in The Sisterhood is that, you know, being a Catholic and you know, Catholic guilt and sort of anxiety mm. and shame about bodies. And yeah, and I love that observation as well, that having a sister sort of makes you kind of gladiatorial um you know where you've got to be quick <laughs> yeah. and you've got to respond there isn't much time I was really nervous about writing that relationship and doing justice to it because I was like what does it feel like to just have one sister yeah. when you've just got each other yeah. you were the only people who understand the the madness of your upbringing because I think all families are a bit mad and you're always looking out being like but everyone else is normal and they're not <laughs> no one is um I, yeah, I think there's there's that bit of being having a complicated relationship with my body, but also looking out and being so close to women and seeing everyone in different spaces and going through different things with their body. And I remember being maybe 11 or 12 and feeling really, you know, awkward and self-conscious and just hating the way I look. But noticing my younger sisters, especially, I think Maddie and Dottie and Libby being, um, gosh, so... Liv is oh five years younger than me um so I suppose she would be when she's sort of six seven or eight that they the way they moved they weren't conscious of themselves they just threw themselves around and did what they wanted and I all I didn't feel like I could and I really ended that freedom I don't think I ever had that that kind of freedom but thinking oh, it's so interesting that I sort of, I want them to have that for as long as possible. But then with um, with Beth, who's the sister sort of closest to me in age, that, and it's something that I will, you know, never ever forgive myself for. I um, had a, sort of quite a bad eating disorder. I was, I suppose, um, you know, mostly anorexia with a dash of bulimia, you know, but um, yeah, that was, I was sort of, you know, starving and purging and, you know, really unhappy. And I think that really affected Beth. And I think that really ruined her relationship with her body and food. And I was not a good role model. And, you know, we have talked about it. And I think, because we also both went to an all girls school, we all did. And that was, mm-hmm. and I, I know so, I know so many friends now who went to different all girls schools and like, yeah, it was just rife. It was, yeah. it was awful. Um, that, I didn't help, but I wasn't the only 
catalyst for that. But I think that's in my head as well, the way, and it's something that I'd love to explore further and go deeper. And I keep thinking about it, the way we look at, we compare ourselves with women and that can be great. And that can be not great. Um, I mean, I've just read and adored yellow face, like everyone else in the world. (laughs) And that sort of gene and Fina, I thought, and maybe this is just me thinking, well, everything's about sisters, isn't it? I just see it. But that the envy and bitterness and comparison and she's like, just so perfect and achieving and achieving and achieving on every way in every level. And then when she dies, which I don't think is a spoiler, I think that's a fairly well documented. (laughs) Um, Sorry, this is, I promise, this isn't just going to be me saying something quite spoiling and then be like, but it's not a spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, Athena's death means she's like, she Athena has won the competition irrevocably even when Jean has you know stolen and cheated yeah. and lied her way she still can't can really compete with the dead yeah. woman yeah but you just said it's something I really want to explore more I would say all of your books explore that in some way you know through their various methods and you know women maybe that you know your books are on the sexy side and perhaps they feel like that's you know it's the only place that some women feel they can have power or maybe they use that because they can't measure up to other women you know in their own head and I think you do it wonderfully but yes please do keep exploring it because I love it <laughs> <laughs> I mean obsessive envy is something that absolutely fascinates me and I think that's why I just I loved yellow face so much and I really yeah, really want so more good. of that I've just reread I don't know why I don't know if you ever had this when you're drawn to revisiting an old book or an old yep. film and it feels like a real like a comfort read or a comfort experience but you're also like I swear this is research somehow I don't know how <laughs> um or maybe that's just me wanting to defend it and saying like no this is really a good use of my time it's not just me lazing about I've just reread um as many Candace Bushnell's novels as I could get my hands on um oh. I've not yet seen the second series of And Just Like That, but I read um, Trading Up, which I remember reading. Um, I don't know if you've ever come across it. It's the story of Janie Wilcox, who is a Victoria's Secret model. And Janie, it's very, very, very Jackie Collins-y. Janie is sort of vulnerable and lovely, but also this hard-nosed, hard-edged nightmare. And she talks about being spectacularly beautiful and using it and how other women are cruel to her and judge her and just don't get it. And in a weird way, um, Janie is not unlike um, Alison, the mum in Limelight, where having that sort of weird, like manipulative yet childlike way of being able to control absolutely everything, like an orchestra conductor, but also be like, oh no, but I'm just like a little girl and I don't know what I'm doing was against me um but in my head she's the mean girl's mom yes I think that's such a great observation I love that (laughs) and and I think I must have read trading up 15 20 years ago and I thought oh my goodness there are so many themes about beauty and identity and sexuality and using sex and using men and this very odd feminism that I don't agree with, that I recognize that she's saying in the most bare, direct, open way, here's what men do, here's what men get away with. You know, why can't women be monsters? Why can't 
women play the game with whatever they have available to yeah. them because everything is stacked against them. Um, and that sort of, it was quite a nice companion read. Um, I just read that uh, Claire Derrida book, uh, Monster, A Fan's Dilemma, which yeah. is about, I suppose, that world. And actually, originally, my earliest drafts of Limelight, it was much more of a Me Too story about mm, sort of bad men getting away with things. And Maz did a lot more kind of Maz Clark, the, the sketchy celebrity feminist she had um, a lot of double standards in terms of who she would defend. And I think, and rightly, my editor said, this is a book about sisters. Stay with them. Don't just right. abandon them. I'm really, really glad I focused on that. But I think that might be something for the future. Mm. To come back to, oh, I will definitely be reading that one then. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. It is, it's, the the theme of sisterhood is, so clear and integral to the plot and Frankie's own journey and you know her own self-discovery um but it's wider than that as well it is the sort of sisterhood which connects all women and what happens when women come together and you know I think there's a there's a quote not to just keep quoting your book back to you but there are so many moments (laughs) there are so many quotes I had to write down because I just loved them um and there's a bit where you wrote it's a force a magical thing women coming together to be even greater than the sum of their parts and it just got me thinking that you know Frankie had to overcome a lot of obstacles to get to that realization that it's it is a sisterhood and not all women are pitted against each other the way that we might be in our in our minds and the way that we we view other women um was she an easy character to get into the mindset of it took me a while and I think that I knew I knew who she was and I sort of I felt her and it was just getting her on the page and I when I started to write, I remember thinking, oh, no, I'm, she exists for sure. I'm just desperate to tell her story and trying to kind of call her and, and summon her up. Um, and I think, yeah, what maybe did it was that really, really wanting, I suppose, to focus on her vulnerability and that the way that she just doesn't know how much attention she wants. And I think that sort of connected to the way she feels kind of because not really other than Bean she doesn't seem to really know many women her own age and there's a sort of talk she, you meet her ex-boyfriend Rupert and there's a sense that she is never quite fitted in to his world and I think Frankie's got this feeling that everyone's got a manual and she hasn't yeah. and she's been or she spends her whole life kind of looking for it and that's something that's you know really really personal but then everyone I speak to I think feels that way about themselves and their lives and then it was really important to me to have these the well as the, the complicated family relationships being at their center and that although Frankie is in awe of Bean and thinks Bean sort of all powerful and confident in a way she isn't Frankie is Bean's protector and that Frankie protects Bean from Alison and she's always been the shock absorber in that relationship and been like I will deal with this so you don't have to and also I think there are some advantages to you know being sort of pliable and doing what Alison wants her to do but also Frankie's got this upstairs neighbour Mrs Antrobus who's fantastically glamorous and 
loves Frankie and Frankie doesn't really know how to how to talk to her or what to sort of say and that she just thinks oh god Mrs Antropus is probably you know she wants to interfere there's also Miriam her boss who just talks about the universe a lot and where Frankie is incredibly anxious Miriam's like oh you know what you're gonna do she's a, a Buddhist who loves weed and it takes Frankie really quite a long time to think oh no I am connected there's like a constellation of a fabulous women around me and it doesn't maybe look conventional but I need them all and they need me and all these people love me and I, I don't have to do anything to sort of to prove it or earn it and I can I don't have to question that I can just or hide myself I can put my energy into loving them yeah. and doing what I can do to lift them up oh that's beautiful um as well as Limelight, we've also read your other no- novels, Insatiable and Careering. And something that I noticed is similar in each of them, which we've kind of touched on already, is the way the protagonists feel that their sexuality is something that does need to be kept a secret. So for Imogen in Careering, she's got this sex blog that she does in her spare time, whilst also interning at magazine. And for Frankie in Limelight, she's working part-time in a printing job, uh, in a printing shop, and um, makes some income through this sort of only fi- only fan style account that she has. And then we've got Violet in Insatiable, who's sort of working in a dead-end job and really dissatisfied in her life and explores this sort of secret affair with a couple. And I think... What's interesting is how these women all feel that their sexuality is something that has to be secretive and taboo. And it's it's something that's almost like dirty that they don't tell their friends about. It's not something that they could ever just, it's not dinner table conversation. Um, do you think the ways that they explore their sexuality then in secret is a healthy act of liberation and sort of reowning it? Or is it just adding to the taboo? And, and making it, you know, escalating it. Oh, I'd not thought about that before. Um, and I think that's something I, you know, I do wonder about because I think there are definitely, definitely people out there who have a very healthy, relaxed, open relationship with their sexuality and maybe couldn't relate to those women yeah. and what they're, what they're hiding. Um, and I I do I think that there are all kinds of things that sort of estrange us from our sexuality and get in the way of it and for all of those women it's a little bit different so I think with Violet it's to do with her she's also got overbearing parents we don't see very much of them um she's also been in a a relationship she sort of she's got engaged quite young and she walks away from this the state that everyone believes they're supposed to want she's sort of and she's estranged from everyone because of leaving this engagement and everyone is a bit like but you know you slotted so neatly into that box and we if you were married to this boyfriend we'd know who you are and we'd know how to deal with you and I suppose she's never really she's nervous because she's never tried to kind of explore before and she just doesn't know what reception she's going to get and I think that Mm. Lottie and Simon the thing they do sexually they're very liberating because they are so open and it's the kind of the emotional games and manipulation that becomes a problem Um, with Imogen I kind of wanted to have her you know 
having sex and writing about sex and that being a real passion for her. And again, I think, you know, feeling like it's sort of a bit a bit wild to be writing so explicitly and that blog gets the job. And then the irony being she is having to write so openly about sex, this website, and she's really exposed and everyone knows everything. And the more she writes about sex, the less she wants to have it. She is just so kind of trapped by this job and yeah, trapped yeah. by this pressure to perform that she's not, you know, it is a, a bony killer. Um, <laughs> and then I won't reveal what, but you'd be G sort of learn, I think with, um, I've forgotten her name, <laughs> with Frankie. Oh my goodness, <laughs> there is a reason why she's got such a complicated relationship with her with her body and with her sexuality. But, you know, a lot of it is, you know, we learn about like the bullying that she's the sort of, she's all before mm. she was even really able to formulate an opinion of herself. She's had lots of feedback and unwanted attention yeah. from the performances she's been forced to do for like fundraising, just, you know, general sort of school exposure that has really affected her sense of who she is and how confident she's allowed to be. So I suppose sometimes I think about what women have to go through and I think it is a miracle any of us are having any happy sex ever Amen. at all <laughs> um I wonder do you think you know because I mentioned before your your books do all explore sexuality in their different ways do you think that's something that you'll always try to include in your fictional writing oh I mean, it really, really fascinates me. And I really enjoy writing sex scenes. I've just handed in the first draft of the next novel. Oh my God. I sort of know it's at the moment, it is the closest thing I've written to a sort of a very conventional romance. And I found that quite hard. Oh. Like, how do you write a sex scene that's just where people genuinely love each other? Oh, this is a bit <laughs> tricky. Um, so I'll see, you know, whether how that evolves and where that ends up um and, I mean to be quite honest it's difficult because with Insatiable it does feel now like as though there is a little bit of an expectation to kind of to keep exploring right. that and I really really want to do it you know in my journalism I've always loved writing about sex and about you know all the political and emotional and social things that get in the way with that or not I mean, one thing, when I wrote Insatiable, the bliss of it was, because I started and I thought, I just had an idea, because I've always loved filthy books and thought, oh, let's see what happens. Yeah. Um, and I really, really shocked myself. I was like, oh, God, this is, oh, <laughs> oh my God, God, I'm good at this. What am I going to do with it? And I was I was also really shocked at how, like, how fast I was writing. I was like, I wasn't stuck at any and you put there are quite a lot of like really that. filthy deleted scenes that we need like too <laughs> filthy for the book. And then after, because I did, I thought, well, because then, you know, I'd written a couple of nonfiction books. In fact, I started it when I went away to write The Sisterhood. Um, I'd written a book called How to Be a Grown Up that yeah. sort of, you know, quite sort of, you know, had a, a different tone. I guess it was, you know, had like lots of sex in it. There is a chapter about masturbation and how to be a grown up. Um, but I just thought, oh maybe I'll just do it under a different name and carried on um and now what I one of the things I wanted to do in because I was writing careering and finishing it and redrafting it when Insatiable yeah. was coming out and it 
was harder for me to kind of pretend in my head like I I can sort of almost separate this from my public self Mm, so maybe actually what what Frankie's doing I've not thought about this before but it was almost like my my version of that that I wasn't putting up sexy pictures but I was quietly writing filth and thought oh this is anonymous no one ever find out and then it when it became apparent that people were probably going to read it that does definitely make it harder to write sex yeah to to nope. sen- you sort of sense yourself yeah and it's not I don't think it's necessarily because I'm embarrassed that people will think oh this is what she likes but there's definitely a bit of that but also yeah just that kind of hearing like I remember a very early review of Insatiable that's very nice but it said something about how everybody like had an orgasm suspiciously quickly and I thought well yeah but I want it to be a sexy book. I want it to be yeah. fun. I don't want people to be reading like, you know, for 15 pages, he almost found her clip. Yeah. Just, just like poking like, the <laughs> centimeter, the wrong side of it. Um, oh and yet God. that, I think that was in my head, the sort of the things, the way that people might respond. So yeah, I mean, it, it's absolutely a privilege. I am thrilled and astonished to have readers and so, so, so grateful. It is a, a lovely thing but Mm. it definitely does make it it's a different challenge I guess yeah she said diplomatically (laughs) well I love that like you know if you were to really make it super basic it's almost like the first one is I would say the sexiest and then the next one is almost about sex and work and this one is about like sex and family and like I love how you're able to explore these other things but there's still that thread going through all of them and you just do it brilliantly in all these different ways so I look forward to reading your more conventional romance oh actually seeing if in a few years time when it publishes if actually it's changed and it's not a conventional Mm -hmm. romance anymore (laughs) Um, Maybe but, just yeah. whack in some of the deleted scenes from Insatiable yeah. in there too. Ooh, that's <laughs> a idea. Um, we've taken up a lot of your time, so I'm going to to bring us to our final question that we always ask. Which, first of all, I'm really obsessed with how many times you've managed to already recommend I books know. and TV programs in your answers. Very exciting. Um, but also you're like I listen to your podcast for book recommendations and I come away with about 10 so I feel like asking you to just give one is too much so I'm gonna say perhaps you could give one old book reco and one new book reco for our listeners and us (laughs) (laughs) oh that's great um okay so my old book reco and this is a bit of a cheat because I was just talking about this on a good read. Um, but this is a book that I think I love this writer so much. And I feel like we should be shouting her name from the rooftops. And we don't. You might know this book because I do go on about it quite a lot. Happy All the Time by Laurie Colwyn, which I read for the first time in lockdown. And it was one of those magic books where I thought this I should have read this when I was like 12 or 13 it's that kind of formative feeling and it makes me feel like I'm 12 again and just in this enchanted universe and all of her novels are beautiful and she writes beautiful food books as well I'm not going to sneakily extra recommend home cooking and warhome cooking but just you know if you google her you might that's just kind yeah. of a conversation that's fine but yeah it, <laughs> it's about two men Vincent and Guido they're third cousins they're best friends and they meet these women and eventually marry them Holly and Misty and it's the 70s and it's like a non-problematic Woody Allen film is the best way I think I can <laughs> recommend it. It's this universe where the character you love the most is Misty, who is just waiting for everything to go horribly and miserably wrong. And it doesn't. And that's the book. 
And it's to call it charming and cozy makes it sound twee. And I don't think it's twee at all, but it's the sort of book that restores your faith in human nature and you really want to crawl into it. Oh my goodness. I love that. I've added it to my basket. Well, I'm just thinking, I always talk about how, oh, and actually, oh my God, I think you're a neighbor's fan too. And our neighbors and home life from sister. Yeah. So like whenever I I've fallen off of neighbors now, now that you know it's sort of ended, I'm thinking maybe this is where I stop watching it. But I just always want everything to be fine and like no drama to happen, even though it's a soap opera. Like I just really want a happy ending all the time. So I'm absolutely gonna read this. You <laughs> love it is a beautifully written, very funny, very witty soap. And now I need to think of a new book. Um And I'm not going to recommend my brilliant friend, Lucy Vine, her very funny, excellent book, Seven X's, Mm -hmm, because I think he's already been on your podcast and listeners know. Um, But she is great. I will recommend my other friend's gorgeous book. I have two friends. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure it's been recommended on this podcast before, but Pre-Loved by Lauren Bravo, which came out a few months ago. And interviewed Lauren on it as well, actually. So you can just roll in loads more records. Yeah, yeah, go, go, go. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, if you love uh, Pre-Loved by Lauren, um, <laughs> what's come out? Oh, I know what I'm going to recommend. It's a new book because she's been on our podcast. And this is a book where, again, I feel like, why isn't everyone reading this? Because my goodness, right. this is the book of the summer. I loved it so much. It is a... um. It's got a bit of a Leanne Moriarty vibe. It's really addictive and fast-paced and fun. And it does dark themes lightly. Um, And it is called uh, Now You See Us by Ballycoa Jeswell. Um, It's just giddy. It's about these three women in Singapore. They all work as like domestic maids and all of their employers are different and weird. One is super nice and her employer doesn't really understand why. One is a sort of a Christian fundamentalist nightmare who was trying to infiltrate the local family plan or the, the national family planning organization and make it Christian. And that's a very fiery, hot headed. She's 18 and she thinks she knows everything. And then they're, they've all, and there's a third one and they they become a network of friends who slowly start to dismantle the system and it's just got such an amazing sense of place and heat and you love the characters so much and you feel so caught up in their world it's one of those books where you look up and you're quite shocked to realize that like you are in your own house and you're not there so <laughs> now you see us by it's a riot it's fun but it's like it's serious it's one of those books that is really really fun to read on holiday by the pool you will have oh, a blast great. but also it's got it's so got so much depth and it's so beautifully and brilliantly written that it's got, you know, you could you could recommend it to the most serious, grumpy, heavyweight, I only read book and prize winners person. And you would be proud to do it. Oh, amazing. Thank, Thank you. you so much. We're going to add all of those recos into the show notes. Uh, but more importantly, everybody go out and buy um, your whole backlog, actually, yeah, I would limelight. say. Not just Limelight, <laughs> but Careering, Insatiable, I'm going to go and read your memoir as well. Uh, I know Jess has read it and absolutely loved it. So I need to 
get on that too. But thank you so much, oh, Daisy. It's been so an much. absolute pleasure having you I on today. Say, before I go that, if um, I'm trying to go to as many indie bookshops as I can and sign as many as I can, my local indie, the Margate Bookshop, they do deliver nationwide. And obviously it's a little bit more expensive than that place we shall not name. But if you order any of my books from the Margate Bookshop, Firstly, they can order them in and send them out to you anywhere in the UK. But also, if you request, there's like a little info box. I will do any dedication, any signing. Oh. I'll make it personalised because I just, I love it's a bit of nice indie like support. I love that. And also, so, it's a gorgeous bookshop. I mean, just from the front, it's really gorgeous. But I have been, it's, and it's like oh. a lovely little space. And it's like on that street with like all the little lovely cafes and things, right? Yes, yeah. yes. It's in, yeah, in the it's old really town lovely. in the square. So I would, if you if you like the well, sound, there you like go. That, Even that. more of an incentive. Thank you so much, Daisy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, like, subscribe, leave a rating and review. It costs you nothing, but it genuinely means the world to us. And don't forget to share our podcast with your reading buddy because they might like to listen as well. And if you don't already, then follow us on Instagram at Book Recos for, funnily enough, more book recommendations. See you next week. We'll be here.